Can I say I won't give it up? Tanner Siegfried. That is correct. Is it? See, I want to say it, it sounds very German to me. It is very German. So I want to say Siegfried. If you want to pronounce it like that, I can do it. Do that. Free reign. Because honestly, I think my family has been pronouncing it wrong. They still say Sigfort. Oh, come on. And so I'm the only one so far to actually put C yeah. into it. And I think my parents are probably like, why are you pronouncing it like that? Because like, that's the way you got to do it. I'm going to have a conversation with your folks. You should. I, I think we need to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the kitchen table. Welcome to the podcast. I've uh, been looking forward uh, to having a conversation with you. Uh about there's a couple things you know obviously the main stuff we want to talk about the drumming and we want to talk about uh groove booking which is your uh booking agency and that's going strong it is i never expected it to uh be what it is today yeah but i'm super thankful for it good well let's uh let's go back i want to know little tanner running around grew up in mesa I was born, raised, and still live in Mesa. Okay. So I, I can't leave. Home, homegrown talent. <laughs> um, and uh, you went to high school, Red Mountain? No, what, what did I, I see? I went to Red Mountain. Red yeah. Mountain. Um, one question that I like to ask is early, like an early musical memory, whether mm-hmm. it's music that, you, that your folks were playing or was there like a record that you remember kind of early in your development when you kind of became aware of music? Uh, and, and then how did that inspire you to pick up an instrument? Yeah, so I mean, I guess, I mean, my story starts pretty early. Um, my dad is, was a drummer. I mean, I haven't seen him play in a long time, but um, he's the one that taught me. Um, so, I mean, from a very young age, um, I was always told that I was put on like a snare drum at three years old. Um, and then I got a full kit for my fifth birthday. And what's really cool is, I mean, I, I see videos of myself, you know, my parents have VHS tapes and whatever. Um, you know, five or six years old, I was, um, a decent player, which was cool. And and it's because my dad was there to work with me. Mm Um, from a young age. Um, I always hear from my parents that one of the first records that I really gravitated towards was Toad the Wet Sprocket. Okay. Which is funny because now I'm kind of revisiting some of those records. Um, uh, Delincia, I think, is one of the records. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Yeah, but. I don't know that band that well, but, yeah. but you know, what, what in the 90s or, or early 2000s, what, when was this happening for you? Yeah, so I mean, I was born in 94, so this was like 90, 98, 99. Okay. Um, so like Third Eye Blind was a big one. Sure. Um, and then it kind of just took off from there. Now, was Toad the Wet Sprocket something that your parents were listening to? Yeah, I mean, everything came from music that my parents were listening to. Yeah. Do you have siblings? I don't. I'm an only child. Only child. Mm-hmm. Because I find it sometimes interesting, the music that siblings can introduce to you um, and kind of expand the palette beyond what your folks were listening to. But it sounds like your folks are pretty hip and listening to hip music. Yeah, and what's cool is like my dad, um, I mean my mom and dad, uh, still listen to very, what I would say, hip music, but I can still get primarily my dad into um, a lot of the stuff that I'm listening to now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really cool. You know, they 
I didn't grow up with parents that only listened to a certain genre. They've been always very open and that's really influenced, um, my musical journey and, and why I listen to such a wide range of, of genres. Um, and getting into drums, I'm kind of assuming you were a part of like, uh, the school band for a while. Did you do like marching band or jazz band or anything like that? Um, I only did jazz band starting in seventh grade. So that was junior high. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was a big goal of mine was to be part of like jazz band and advanced band, which I was seventh, seventh through ninth grade, um, is how our junior high system was. And then to be honest, I, I had no interest going into high school. And the only reason that was, is because I was already starting to gig. Hmm. Um, so I think once I had a taste of that, nothing maybe compared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I started early gigging and playing in bars and, um, but, but junior high jazz band was a big part of my life and, mm-hmm. and I learned a ton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were some of those early gigs for you? <clears throat> I was playing at places like, um, are they still around? No. So the clubhouse was like a oh, notorious yes. place. And I played the clubhouse. Yeah, they had that big stage. Yes. Um, bar in the middle. Yep. Uh, I think a couple like uh, shootings happened there or something oh, outside in the parking lot. Uh, oh yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> Security top notch. Oh yeah, yeah. They were they were very top notch guys there. <laughs> uh, but I, so they they closed down. But I was playing. Um, man, I'm trying. I mean, I played the marquee one time when I was young, which was like you know a big thing when you're like 13. Well, fuck, it's a big thing now. I'd love to play the marquee. Yeah, right. I would love to go back there. I haven't yeah. been there since. <laughs> and 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 all right. So and. What kind of music? Did, was there a specific thing? Was there a band? Did you like put a band together and did that whole original thing? Or? So I never put a band together. Um, when I was, I think my first band was when I was 12 or 13. Um, the band's name was A Slight Discretion. Hmm. Uh, and it was definitely like angsty teen. Sure. Uh, as you do. Emo music. Yeah, as you do. And uh, the other guys were like, you know, 16, 17. And, and wait, I'm sorry, you were 12 or 13 at this point? I was, yeah. Jeez Louise. Yeah. And they let you in the bar? It was one of those things where my parents had to literally like hold my arm walking around. Uh, I used to play Martini Ranch all the time, which is now Wasted Grain. Right. That was definitely the one that uh, <laughs> I had to have security literally walk me through. Um, Joe's Grotto. Man, yes. I'm trying to think of all these places. Yes. Yeah. I love it. And um, so... That was, it was like an emo thing in high school. Did you then, did you do like the ASU thing or, or after high school, what did you do? Um, so I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, not proud or proud of it, but I, uh, ended up getting my GED senior year. Hmm. You know, I'm one of those maybe rare stories where I knew exactly what I was going to do from Hmm. a very young age and that focus never shifted mm-hmm. um that that goal of mine never changed and i did well in school um but i was so bored because again i knew what i was going to do mm-hmm. so once i got into senior year um i actually got i remember getting really sick at the beginning of the year and i missed like a two weeks of school and i came back and i felt so far behind and i remember coming home and i was like guys i i can't do this mm-hmm. i'm miserable um I feel like this is holding me back from 
from actually getting out and and um, having more time to play music. And, and yeah, so honestly, I got my GED like a week after that, and I got into my full time band, uh, making a living um, right at eighteen. Wow. Two questions. Uh, part one is, and your folks were cool with this. And then part two was, um, were, were they professional musicians at any point? Uh, first question is, part yeah, part one, uh, <laughs> they weren't upset. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super lucky to have parents that support me in anything. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that my parents saw my potential. And it's not like I had just started doing this. Like I had said, you know, I've been playing drums since I was really, let's say five and gigging since I was, um, really 11 or 12. So Mm. it wasn't like a surprise, like, Hey guys, I just started playing drums. (laughs) Can I drive out of school? Um, and at the same time, like I knew I wasn't going to necessarily go to college. Mm. Um, I had my career path and and what I was going to start doing. So it wasn't like that final year of high school was going to help me get into right. a college or anything. Um, I, I had a short stint thinking I was going to maybe go to Musicians Institute in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Um, before senior year, I had um, two summer camps that I did there. Thought it was really great. Um, but I just had this feeling that it was going to only get me so far. Mm. Um, I think it's a great school and, and a lot of talent has come out of there. Um, musicians that I still follow, uh, but it just didn't ever feel right for me. And again, I'm very lucky that things panned out the way they did. Yeah. Um, but, but part of that was because I was so motivated to make music in, in some form, my living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of just jumped right in and did you, I mean, did you have like day jobs to help support or was it literally just, I'm going fucking full on, I'm full into this shit right now? I have never, ever had a day job. No shit. Which is, I mean, I've, I've helped my uncle install DirecTV twice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with that. That hardly, that hardly, yeah. Not a day job. Not a day job. No. Wow. Uh, And by the way, part two of that question was, uh, no, my parents are not professional musicians. Um. My dad again hasn't played drums in a long time, but he, he was very good. Yeah. Um, but no, no, I don't think my dad's ever played a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you are you are a, a, a unicorn, the cat that that never had a day job. Yeah, and I mean, I'm again, I'm just lucky. I mm. just go back to that all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm blessed to be able to do what I do and. Um, but again, I mean, it was, it was a lot of upbringing to keep me focused on what that goal was. One thing I grew up in Massachusetts and I moved out here when I was 27. And one thing that I noticed immediately was that there was so much work, right? Mm -hmm. Just, just the resorts and the patio work and the weddings and the corporate events. And it just seemed like it was a possibility to, right. to be a full-time musician. Whereas in Massachusetts, you know, trying to, to put a career together, it's like, it just wasn't happening. And, right. and so maybe by virtue of this market, you know, you were able to go out and get those gigs, you know, and, and start at an early age. Um, 
because I, I I'm similar to you. Um, music has always been the thing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I ended up going to college and trying to pursue music full time after that. But part of the reason to, for me to, moving to Arizona was to step away from music for a minute. And as soon as I got here, I was like, "Oh shit, you can actually." Like you can work five nights a week, seven nights a week, and you can pay your bills just with music. Like Absolutely. It was, a, it was kind of a revelation for me. Yeah, and you know, I'm not I'm not anti school or college whatsoever. Um, I just my personality type. Um, it made me grind harder, knowing that I didn't have a backup plan, mm-hmm. and and I always knew that it wasn't like I got out of school and then I was like, oh shit, music better work. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I should say it was like that. I, I I knew there was no backup plan, so I had to make this work, and it and it truly was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, you know, one of the earliest memories I have of knowing you can make a living in this town, um, was actually John Herrera mm. with Turning Point. Um. Again, like I was, gosh. 10, 11 years old, and, and my dad found Turning Point, um, found John being a incredible instructor uh, and drummer, obviously himself, and I took a couple lessons from him, and, and we would go see Turning Point at yeah. some of these outdoor concerts, mm-hmm. um, and it's really cool now because, you know, I'm able to call John and um, Dimitri a friend. Um, I don't think I've met all the guys, but but those two I've been close with for a while, mm-hmm. and that was kind of one of my earliest um, realizations mm-hmm. that this is what these guys do for a living. And of course I, I, I knew they toured and, and stuff like that, but, but locally they were doing really well. I know that you've, you work with a bunch of artists, um, here in town. Um, how, how do you think, um, has you, how has your playing kind of evolved to, to match the different things, uh, the different bands that, that you work in? You know, like, because you said you started kind of with an emo thing. Yeah. And from my understanding, you know, you started to get into some country music and like mm-hmm. kind of expand the thing. Do you think that that's a function of your taste evolving or a function of kind of the market and what the band, what the market can support as far as genre? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was, it's really both. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with music all around the house and once i got into actually playing with bands um that certainly changed what i was into Mm. um i mean i was very much into like quote unquote butt rock like i mean i could name a bunch of bands but um is butt rock like yacht rock i don't think so i don't even know what butt i think butt rock is like a creed Oh and, uh, yes, Godsmack. Okay, some okay. like I'm I'm there with you. Okay, yeah. yikes. Yeah, it, there was a lot of weird bands that I'm definitely not into anymore. <laughs> um, but a lot of those bands, Three Days Grace, like N- Nickelback. I was in a Nickelback for a little bit. See, I don't I, think Nickelback's that bad. They get a lot of hate. They get they get a they get a disproportionate amount of hate. Yeah, I don't think Creed's that bad. Okay, well, we may differ on that, but no. <laughs> okay, we'll stop there. Yeah, no, I, I, I see. You know, I see what you're saying. I think that a lot of times those bands can get a bad rap, even though whatever photograph is a great tune, or right. you know what I'm saying. Uh, but they're just at the 
they're at the tail end of so many jokes. It's it's now it's just and I'll tell those jokes. Yeah, but then I'll also follow it with, "Hey, listen to them." <laughs> I got I got all their CDs. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. They're sitting on my uh, my uh, shrine at home. <laughs> right, right. Just Creed and Nickelback, though. That's it. I have a butt rock uh, shrine at the crib. <laughs> I think butt rock's the right term. I'm going to go with it. I- I've heard that, at least. Um, but from there, you know, I um, what really changed my taste and um, just ability to play was that first band out of high school, um, which is still around. Mm. Uh, I love those guys. Um, they're a cover band called Western Fusion Band. I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're still doing it, still doing, you know, a lot of the same gigs. I mean, they're they're a little bit more corporate-based now. Yeah. Um, but those guys literally taught me so much. Yeah. And um, I really don't think I'd be where I am today with my business or playing yeah, without them really giving me a chance. I mean, you know, they were in their mid to late thirties maybe when I joined when I was 18. And it's, it's crazy that that was almost 10 years ago now. Wow. And you know, I mean, I, I certainly have to say that I had the skill to join, but it's amazing how bad I think I was at that <laughs> point compared to now because of what they taught me. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no, <clears throat> there's no schooling like just getting out there and performing. That right? was my school. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a question. It flew in and out of my brains. Um, well, let's talk about let's talk briefly about your your booking business. Um, what precipitated that? Um, how did you negotiate? As a as a player, but also as a booking agent, how did you how have you negotiated the last couple of years? Uh, let's start there. So you know, I always had the idea of a booking agency. Um, I want to say even from when I was maybe eighteen, um, it didn't seem doable, and I think the only reason I thought that was. I didn't know how many there were. I didn't know how many agencies there were. Yeah. I didn't know if there were really at all. I hadn't worked with any at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, well, I I should say I, at 18 and 19, I worked with maybe a couple through Western fusion band for corporate events. Um, but as far as like for restaurants in just any establishment, I didn't know if it existed. And so what really made me, gravitate towards that and have the want to start doing it was I've always considered myself a secondary player. I don't go out and do solo gigs. Mm. Um, I can sing and play guitar, but it, I never felt strong enough to go do that. And so without all the great players that I've worked with, I wasn't going to have a gig. Right. Right. I wasn't going to make a living without these people that, um, I found or found me. Either one. Right. And I was most of the time doing the booking myself. And, uh, you know, again, I've always been so driven to make music my only income that, I mean, man, I was sitting in my, it's a, it's a old joke, but I was literally sitting in my parents' basement. We had a basement (laughs) when I was growing up. That was the drum studio. Uh Uh, But I was literally sitting in my parents' basement making cold calls all day long right. as an 18, 19 year old kid. 
um, just calling resorts and restaurants and I mean, name it, just trying to get work. Right. And, and that's really how, um, I made my living was booking my duos. It was typically always duos, um, at these places. Yeah. And once I figured out that <laughs> a lot of the times there was no one really to do that, it was always a food and beverage manager. Right. You know how that it is. F and B will yeah. take care of it. GM. They right. don't have time to do that. Right. And they still don't. Um, so once I realized that need and I and I just had a couple places that were like, please take this off my yeah. hands. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe this is doable. So that was really the beginning of it. And, and when was that? What, what year was that? That was 2017. Oh, shit. So it really wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, I had just moved in with um, my girlfriend at the time. Uh, we got engaged uh, not long after. Now we've been married for, gosh, three years this December. Wow. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. And um, there was a lot of boredom sitting in this house um, while she was at work. And, you know, I had nothing but time to start this business. So. Yeah. I built the website myself, and um, and thank God for uh, the the first two were the Wigwam Resort. Mm-hmm. I've, I had I had a residency there for um, quite a few years, um, just as a duo. And when I came to them, I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to play these anymore, um, but if you want some more variety and new artists, like this is something I could do." And and they gave that to me. Hmm. And then the Montauk was really the second big one. And then the dominoes just kind of fell from there. Yeah. Um, but I definitely can't say it was easy. I mean, it was a lot of a lot of cold calling again. Sure. And, you know, I, I was very, very lucky and fortunate to have those two establishments jump on board because then I had some, um, I don't know what I want to say here, but... Well, like some clout, maybe clout. Yeah, that you could go to another place and say, "Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, Wigwam is a big name, and I'm booking this spot in in Old Town Scottsdale, and you know, exactly." <clears throat> so you probably get a certain level of of respect, maybe uh, initially, you know, um, and and how I mean, obviously, you were affected by the pandemic, not just as a player, but also as a as an agent. How did you get through that time? and stay creative and, and stay engaged? I started having a lot of different business ideas during the pandemic. Um, I had a moment where I was going to really only focus on weddings uh-huh. because I figured that would be the first one to come back. Uh-huh. I don't want to say it was an anxiety-ridden time, but for a lot of us, it wasn't comfortable. At the same time, I know a lot of people that were like, you know, they've been grinding so hard for a long time. They accepted that. They were happy for the break. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was a little bit of a panic mode. Yeah. And it was like, okay, I need to think of, if if this takes a very, very long time to come back, what am I going to do? Right. Um, and to be honest, I mean, first of all, living in Arizona was a blessing because I can't imagine what we would do if we lived in California. I mean, right. they, they still have some issues. Right. Um, right. And their full lockdown didn't necessarily end that long ago. So the fact that we got back to things as quick as we did was a huge help. Yeah. Um, I remember getting a text from the Montauk, uh, the GM 
um, uh, I think a couple days before our official lockdown ended and he was like, Hey, we're starting music right back up. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> and then from there, things went slow. Right. Um, right. You know, all, all of us obviously know that budget budgets were limited. Yeah. Um, I for sure did what I could to try to pay the players that I was working with, um, fairly coming back and, and now everything's back. Right, um, right. But I, there were days that I definitely wanted to like give up and be like, what am I going to do? Right. I, I don't know. Right. Um, but it, it was, it was a moment of realizing how good we had it. Yeah. I think we all, I hope realize that. And, um, but there was panic for yeah. sure. Yeah. That was, that sounds pretty similar to my experience. And in a way, you know, we kind of brought the, community closer because we were all kind of experiencing the same thing i mean some yeah as you say some friends were kind of thankful for the break and could focus on other things other projects some like me uh had a harder time reconciling not just the loss of work but the 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 loss of uh, the sense of self mm-hmm. you know um it is, I, I don't know, I still find it like kind of fascinating how how different everyone's experience was and how they overcame it, you know. Um, but as you say, you know, uh, a lot of my friends are super busy. Uh, resorts, I mean, there's there's work. It almost feels like we're back to normal, like nothing ever really happened. Yeah, it was it was a weird, it was a weird change when it all came back because the sense of community is what I missed most. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we are, in my opinion, as human beings supposed to be with each other. Right. And so, and, and what better way for that to happen than music? Right. I feel like music brings us all together more than almost anything. So that's what I was most sad about. Um, you know, I, I went to go play, um, I'm trying to remember the timeline of when it was really bad, but I think we played an outdoor show, my, my country band that I play for, um, in May or June of 2020. And it, and then we had another uptick and it was really right, bad. Right. But I remember how crazy it felt to have people in close distance to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And But that was also sad to me. It was like you were still worrying about just being next to people but it was so welcoming to see any sort of group together just laughing and smiling and you know we all took that for granted i still take that for granted and wish i didn't but there was a defining moment for me when i played a gig at wasted grain um i think it was pretty soon after like the actual um capacity limit was um, had gone away and, and we had, we had full capacity back. And, uh, I just remember looking out and, and people gathered together and there were so many smiling faces. And, and that was the moment, like, I still remember that image and, and I, I had to smile and was like, this is incredible. I hope this never goes away again, because this is exactly why we do what we do. This is why those people go out to see a band and this is why we're on stage to provide that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so I hope that never goes away again because it was it was rough. Have you have you felt a difference in in kind of crowd uh, appreciation or is there a have you noticed that there has been a shift that even you know the audience is a little bit maybe more grateful or thankful that you're there? Do you, are you feeling that at all? It's tough for me to say because I haven't played a lot of the gigs that I'm hiring people to do in a long time. So you know, for instance, like the resorts and like culinary dropout and and all those restaurant gigs. Um, I used to play those myself all the time. And then ever since I started booking, I kind of cut back on that. Not for any particular reason. I just focus more of my time on some of the original gigs. And those original gigs were really only playing a few different venues where they are more concert style. Um, so, it, I mean, it certainly seems to me that people... Uh, enjoy going out more or they maybe even make more of an effort. Um, but again, it's one of those things that I took for granted. So I, I maybe didn't look at every right, single person's right. face in the audience to see how much joy there was. Right. But I certainly feel it back now. Okay. Um, but I'm also paying more attention. Right, right. It's hard to A and B it if, if, if you know, prior to this whole thing, you weren't really paying attention to it, right? You, it's exactly. It's hard to weigh you know, if it's better or worse or the same or, or whatever. Exactly. Uh, let's take a short little break. Just a quick, quick snapper of a break. Cool. All right. So the story goes is brought to you, the listener, by the Engstrom team. Come on. These are my pals. These are my homies. Becky, Carrie, and Kate. It's the mother-daughter real estate team coming in hot. They have been selling in the Phoenix metro area for 25 years. And they know the market. Maybe you're trying to buy a new home. Maybe you need to get a bigger home. Maybe you want a smaller home. Maybe you want to sell. Call Becky, Carrie, and Kate. They're going to walk you through the whole process. They have connections to get your house ready for sale and excellent resources for the loan process it's a soup to nuts situation over here okay please call becky kate and carrie at 480-250-1936 you know matthew thornton unfortunately i know um he's always he always says you need to get you need to put mics out on the patio because that's where the cool shit gets discussed. You need to put like ambient mics out on the yeah, patio. Right. So it, it sounds like it's outside, like it's secret. Yeah, right, right. But then you really hear people's yeah. darkest. That's when, the, sh- that's when yep. the real shit comes out. And then we come in here <laughs> and it's like, I think my mom's going to listen to this podcast. I might, I shouldn't swear or whatever. You know? <laughs> but, um, but do not tell the guest. Right. It's just like a very hidden uh, uh, condenser yeah, that yeah. picks up everything. Right. Yeah. KGB yeah. style. Right. Well, you should have Matt on, but have that done just for him. Right, right. Because I would like to hear Matt's off the cuff. What? Oh, you have a cool cuckoo. clock. It's my cuckoo clock. Dude. It's, it, it, bro, at noon and at midnight, this fucking condo, it's like a carnival in here. There's like a thousand things chiming and bells and whatever, birds flying out of the thing. Brian collects cuckoo clocks. It's just, I don't know why. Well, I know why, but it is a strange, it is a strange thing. But this, uh, this one around the corner is like, 
borderline obnoxious. Oh, you have multiple. I have, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was kidding about collecting. It's a thing, bro. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's very cool. It's unique. This one's orange. Yeah, this is, and that was my first one. It's you know, it's it's like it's it's understated in a way. It's quiet. It's appropriate, you know. And then this other one around the corner is just like a little brash. It's a little much. <laughs> so, and it's a recent addition to this to the squad. And I started, you know, doing these podcasts, and people fucking freak out. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Well, I think I've heard it already, but maybe that one just caught me off guard. Maybe well, it was a different one. It, no, I, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Well, g- the good news is it's just after three, so we won't hear anything until three thirty. Oh well, you know, I want to do it at midnight now. <laughs> I want to hear the whole. It's a ruckus. Choir. It's a ruckus. Oh man, that's good. I'm gonna start collecting uh, cuckoo clocks. Your name is very German. It's probably it's in a, your... Siegfurt? Yeah, Siegfurt. That was, a, that was a terrible... You've been to Germany. I haven't been there. Siegfurt. It's, it's a nice, that's a nice German, German yeah. name. I know why my wife hasn't taken it yet. Because of that she reason? She has a beautiful last name. What is it? Debella. It literally means the beautiful. Yeah. And she's like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang I'm gonna off hang a little bit. I'm going to hang this one. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I get it. Yeah. I don't want to take it only because... I also don't want to change my name. <laughs> and as soon as I said that, I was like, I get why you don't want to change your name. <laughs> Yet. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying she won't. Yeah. But Well, you know what? Maybe she needs a trip to Germany to just feel yes. the thing. She'll come back in, in German attire. Yeah. And, she'll and the dirndl like, and the whole carrying the fucking beer steins <laughs> and, and do the whole, bring a cuckoo clock into the crib. It's going to be great. She's like, we're going to change that name right now. <laughs> um. This is also an interesting thing. I mean, you're you're you know you're you're a younger cat, and and you've already been married for a number of years. I have, and she's kind of like a high school sweetheart, grade school sweetheart. You did do your research. I did. Well, yeah. I see some posts every yeah, now and right. then, and and I think you were recently celebrating something, whatever. And and I looked at the first picture. I'm like, these are children. We were children. I have been with her since ninth. Grade. So Whoa. 2009. Not, not even technically high school, sweethearts. You're, you're. She, she was in junior high. I was in my first year of high school. Wow. So yeah, man, it's crazy. I mean, Damn. I, it's, uh, uh, I guess we can go back to the unicorn thing. You are. But no, she's, she's the best person in the world. And there's a reason that we are celebrating, I don't know, 11 or 12 years, whatever it is. Wow. From 09. Wow. So, but yeah, um, she, I, dude, finding somebody that can support you from that young of an age in a business that we do, yeah, is weird. Well, this is my next question: is is she musical? Is she into, into music? Is she a musician? You're looking at me funny. No, I'm not. I'm oh, sorry, okay. I was waiting. I didn't want to interrupt. Okay, um, she is musical. Okay, um, not anymore. She played uh, violin. That's really kind of how I met her. Was she was um, in orchestra. Uh-huh. And the way that the junior high was is that the doors were like in the same corridor sort of thing. So it's like when the bell rang and we all left, I would always see her every day. And I had no idea who she was, but I was like, who's this hottie? Come on, What's girl. Going on? I see you got your violin. Come on, girl. <laughs> Get out my drums. Drum for you. Look, come on. Let's start a duo. <laughs> drums and violin. That sounds like the worst duo ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we're a good duo. Okay, so 
you meet so lame sorry (laughs) i'll edit this all out don't worry uh uh so you literally meet your future wife like in the hallway after band uh yeah kind of that's fucking adorable it is and then i stalked her on facebook and then i really know who she was yeah and then from there i stalked her more (laughs) and now we're married so if it works if you stalk anybody enough (laughs) you will marry them whoa trust me take notes kids yeah this is the way it goes <laughs> and she uh and she's obviously very supportive uh, uh, as you say uh um of a musician and a musician's lifestyle and and she's she's 110% behind it yeah and i mean i think it would be much different if uh, you know circling back to how motivated i've always been with it um i don't think anybody wants to be with the kind of person that is unmotivated mm-hmm. and you know, has nothing going on. Right. Sure. So if, if I was still only gigging three to four nights a week and I was sitting at home all day eating cheese balls or whatever it may be, I might get some more backlash. Um, right. But she's such a music lover, um, that you know, she's never been the kind of person I think because we've been together so long, that's like, wow, it's so cool that you play music. It's like the novelty has worn off. I, and I don't even really know if it was ever a novelty, right. um, just because it, it was so obvious to everybody what I did. Yeah, I mean, I'm still known as the kid from elementary school that played drums in the talent show. Literally, <laughs> I'll meet people from years ago, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you always used to play drums in the school talent show." And I was like, "That's still what I do. I still do the talent show every year. Still holding. <laughs> <laughs> Not well, but I, I play in the talent show. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's super super cool that." Um, yeah she's always been behind me and encouraged me yeah and i've never heard the words out of her mouth like so do you you know have a backup plan right you know right what's the next thing yeah like it's cute this is cute that you're a musician but what are you really gonna do yeah you're gonna go work at a bank or something at some point? something <laughs> real yeah <laughs> yeah does she come to gigs what um, does she do does she she work i'm assuming she works like a normal job has like works during the day yeah, so she's an interior designer. Yeah. Um, she went to ASU, um, and she works for a large um, commercial firm oh. um, that's actually a worldwide firm, which is really cool. So she does a lot of um, K-12 through schools, hospitals, and she's amazing at what she does. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a somewhat eight to four, eight to five right. job. Um, so she's not necessarily coming out to all the gigs on a, on a Thursday or whatever. No, and, and I mean... When I was playing a lot, um, well, even before that, when I was really in like original bands, um, you know, we stayed, started dating when we were 15. So when I was in those first original bands, she came to a lot of those. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it's funny, even now she goes, oh, I didn't know you had that gig this weekend. And I was like, I mean, you can go if you really want to, <laughs> but like, you've heard it. Right. Right. But please, I'd love for you to be there. But it, it's just not. Yeah. If it's a new thing that I'm doing, I, I love for my family and friends to be there. Yeah. Um, there's not as much new as there used to be. Sure. Sure. Well, and, and along those lines, um, who are you playing with now? And kind of where do you see, where do you see performing for you in the future? Like what are some of the um, things on the horizon that you're shooting for music wise. So I play for an artist. Uh, his name is Jacob Morris. Mm-hmm. He is a singer songwriter himself. 
It's um really, really, really good country songwriting. Um definitely a rock influence to it. Um Adam Armijo, um yeah. the terrible guitar player that we both know. Oh god. He's in our band. If he just he took a couple lessons. I know. You know, he's like right on the edge of being pretty good. Yeah, I mean if he puts in maybe like five more years he'd be fine. I know. So I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. I don't like him, but, <laughs> and then the other guitar player in our band, his name's Josh Blixt. And, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, think of Adam of being like, you know, one of the players in town. Um, and he is, yeah. but Josh, our other guitar player is to me, every bit as good as Adam. And what's really cool is that stylistically, um, they're different mm-hmm. tones are different. So having, in our opinion, two of the absolute best guitar players in Arizona or beyond in the same band is really, really cool. And then, and what's cool about Josh is that he really kind of only plays with us. Hmm. Um, And then our bass player, Keith, again, the only band he's ever played with. So we really kind of have our own thing. Um, And Jacob just recently moved to Nashville. Um, Kind of unexpectedly actually got a job offer out there to support him and his fiance. And, um, he was able to do that to then further his music career. And he's already doing really well out there. He's only 24, I believe. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't talk highly of him just because he's one of my best friends. His, I wouldn't play for him if I didn't believe in the music mm-hmm. that he was writing, uh, co-writing. Um, it's all really, really good. And it's music that I'm passionate about playing, which... I truthfully can't say a lot of the time um, just because, I mean, what I listen to in my own time is really not country. It's, it's really not rock. Um, But I really enjoy his originals. So, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons I have my company um, is I was getting so burnt out playing, you know, I called myself a secondary musician earlier I was getting so burnt out playing a lot of music I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. If I was confident enough as a solo player, singer songwriter myself, uh, you know, I, I could I could definitely find the songs that keep me going and keep me wanting to work. But when it was four, five, six, seven, sometimes nights a week, that we've all done at some point. Yeah. But just drumming to this music that I didn't like. I knew that I couldn't do that for the rest of my life and not hate myself. So, you know, I started the company and, and that's given me the freedom to truthfully play the gigs that I want to. And it's not one of those things where Jacob comes to me and he's like, Hey, we have this gig. And I'm like, well, hold on. What does it pay? Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'll be there if I can. And, And we were talking about this, um, on the break a little bit. And this is not new information, but there's there are the gigs that you do for money, uh, and there are gigs that you do to fill your soul. And um, Todd Shuba has shared this great kind of not analogy, but he's like, there every gig has to check two out of these three boxes. One is the hang, yep. One's the music, and one's bread. And if you can notch two of those boxes, you do the gig. Mm-hmm. Even if the music is shit, if you're hanging with your friends and the, and the bread's good, you know. So any combination, I mean, obviously the goal is all three, right? Yeah, but it rarely happens all three. 
that's what we're all shooting for. You know, we, you know, every gig is, is hangs great. Bread's great. Music is great. Um, but anyway, uh, the whole concept. And I think that this is kind of a misconception, um, from people, you know, you hear a lot, well, you know, you, you, you do what you love. So it's not work or whatever. They like that whole approach to, uh, to being a musician and, and you're like, well, yeah, that that's kind of true, but you know, you can't pay your mortgage off of good vibes or whatever. Like there's some hard numbers that we need to reach here to make, to float this thing. Um, and then the whole concept of, Oh, this gig is a drag, like doesn't mm-hmm. register sometimes. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know, trying to demystify the musician's life to a, to a, to a normie is can be challenging yeah and i mean that's that's where music unfortunately became an unwanted job for me was um that western fusion band was my first band that was that we talked about earlier it was everything i could have hoped and dreamed for until we got about three years into it and it had nothing to do with the guys or the bread at all it was the gig itself. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, I'm playing the same Brooks and Dunn song that I, I love Brooks and Dunn, but there's a lot of songs that I, right, I didn't sure. want to play to a 1 a.m. bar full of, not even full, quarter full of drunks. <laughs> it's just not a fun gig anymore, you know? And, and after you play with the same guys for so long, for so many nights in a row, yeah, the hang can be cool, but nobody's, necessarily enjoying it especially if the gig isn't cool right and that's kind of where like um things changed when uh like the whiskey rose opened right those big concert setting sort of bars yeah it didn't matter if you had played that music a thousand times before which we literally had the bread was the same the hang was the same and the music was the same music was the same but you're now playing right to people that you can see her having fun. The environment is now fun. Right. And that's all that really mattered to me. Um, and now, thankfully, most of the gigs we do play with Jacob are that way. Mm-hmm. You can see people are appreciative. They're having fun. And that's the number one goal to me. Isn't it funny how just a little bit of a little bit of effort, you know, put a little stage here, like... Invest just a little bit in what we're trying to do and how far that can go, you know. I I totally get it, man. Infrastructure. It's as basic as that. If you make me feel like I'm performing a concert, that's a whole different approach. Now we're talking about a performance. It's not this afterthought of a band in the corner. Yep. It's now we get to now we get to dig in a little bit. And the and the focus is the music, which we're all trying to fucking do anyway, you know. But it's it's interesting. I mean, I've played every, well, maybe not every gig in but town, close but close to it, close to every gig in town. And it's funny, just the littlest thing can make a, a totally normal, uh, average gig be better. Right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And and on the flip side, you can play at a great venue that just has a shitty crowd. And or like an ornery sound guy, no, or no. terrible hospitality. Like here's your here's your beer token for this Bud Light. You know, it's like 
man, just a couple little things. If we adjusted a couple little things, everyone would be happier. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've always said that if a group of musicians got together to start our own establishment, mm-hmm. let's, let's just call it a restaurant bar with live music as a focus, there's a lot of places where live music has to be some sort of focus. It's it's mm-hmm. part of the brand, right? right. Um, but if we got together collectively, we know best how to make the environment the most friendly for music. Right. 90, how, you know, 95% of the time music is an afterthought yeah. at anywhere. Right. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that corner over there, that's five by five looks big enough for a five piece band. It's like, what are you talking about? Well, it's not. Or, and, <laughs> and they're like, that's enough space. Right. And you're like, eh. and they're like, well, we don't want to move any tables because that's where we make our money. And it's like, okay, I totally get it. Then just be a restaurant. Just just yeah. do that then. Don't, like, the the the, the thought uh, or the approach that music is some fucking band-aid to your, to your issues or is going to whatever. It just just focus on the food then. If, if you're so out, bent out of shape about this little space or it being too loud, it's like, well, if you see the five top two feet away from me, yes, it's going to be loud for them. They're not going to want to sit there. No. You're going to drive them out quick. Exactly. So you might as well just remove that table. You know, it's just like yeah. people don't... Yeah. it's It can be frustrating. And that kind of transitions into um, about a year ago, the, the title that I have myself, if anybody even reads it on email, uh, what do you call them at the bottom? Like um, a signature? Like a signature on my website. I now consider my business live music consulting. Mm -hmm. I do consider myself that to a certain extent because I've played 90% of the gigs around town. And I wish I could be more forward with some people. I admittedly uh, am not as much as I'd like to, but... In what what sense? What do you mean? Well, you just said uh, you're not as forward with some people. Are you talking about restaurants or are you talking about... An audience or... No, I'm just talking about like clients. Okay, like clients. Restaurants. We, we, yeah, yeah, okay, got you. Um, you know, I, I want to keep their business and, and I just don't want to be rude to anybody in general. But sometimes they do say, and I'm not saying current clients, but new clients have come to me and, and I go visit their space and I'm like, you know, let's think about this. Yeah. Let's think about, okay, you want to bring in a three-piece band for... I don't know, four or five hundred dollars, which isn't typically enough to get a really good band in. You're not going to see that much of a difference between a trio and a duo, depending on the instrumentation, but you are going to see a huge difference in quality. Um, and besides the pay aspect of it, where are you setting these people? Oh, you want drums? Right. Oh, you don't want drums. Okay. You know, a, a lot of times people, uh, I'm sorry, clients really, really want a duo. And I go, okay, you're not going to notice almost anything difference from a solo to a duo, in my opinion, unless it's percussion and sometimes bass. Yeah. Now, that's a hard thing for me to say because I don't want to discredit anybody. And that's that's not necessarily how I truly uh, fully feel. Because if it's just somebody that's subpar on acoustic guitar, but they have a great voice, right. then any instrument to me is going to add. But what's very, very noticeable to the, your normal, uneducated audience yeah, is like percussion yes. or something like that. Yes. 
So, you know, save the money here, add it here. Yeah. Or no, don't have drums in a, you have concrete floors, walls, and ceilings. It doesn't make for your cust. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense for your customers. Right. These are very small things that seem obvious to us. Right. Right. That do not cross most clients' minds. Well, and and again, um, they have an idea. They they. It's almost like, regardless of the content of the musical content, they see some value, some energy increase, maybe or. I don't, I don't know, but they, there's this kind of intangible thing that they tend to latch onto without taking these things mm-hmm. into account. It's like, oh, okay, well, if I put them in the corner and then, you know, thinking critically about instrumentation and volume and, you know, uh, is it is it a focus? Is it not a focus? Like, again, I feel like they're just like, we want to increase some numbers. We want to increase energy. The Band-Aid is the band. And by the way, we only have $250 and it's and you have $10 bar tab. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You, you You're are, 100% right. You're totally... We need to have a conversation about this. You know, like that sort of shit. And I just... I got tired of educating people. I'm just like, figure it out. I don't... If this is what you really want, I'll give it to you. And good fucking luck. You know, yeah, that's how I get. You know, but I'm old and like crusty and like I, I my patience is gone. You know? But I mean, dude, I'm I'm younger than you, but I'm but just barely. I'm just that is true. Brian is 29 years old. Yeah, I know. I he's, look good. I moisturize. He's brand new at this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, but I'm. You can ask any one of my friends. I am. Uh, I'm somewhat jaded to a point because yeah. I've I've seen a lot of it up to a young age already. Yeah. Um and and yeah, I'm I'm sick of some of the bullshit for right. sure. Right. We all are. Yeah. But you know, I didn't start my company solely to make money, certainly not to make money because I didn't know how well it was going to do anyways. Right. Um I truly felt like I could make somewhat of a difference amongst the community, whether it was tying up those loose ends between clients and musician, um, right. finding new places that will be able to offer live music, which I've done, which is, I don't want to say I've done, but I've increased schedule yeah. and said, hey, like you're only doing music on whatever night. What if we add to this night? Mm-hmm. They did, and it's still going. To me, that's proof that it worked for them financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, just being able to be the contact for anybody. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, I have so many cancellations sometimes per week. And it's like, hey, if you come to me, Brian, if you come to me and you're like, hey, bro, I know we have this gig tomorrow that pays you know, the normal 150, 200 bucks, whatever it is, which I don't think should be normal anymore. Right. And I have a chance to go make 600 bucks on a corporate event. Unless I for sure know I cannot find somebody else. And, and most of the musicians that, I, that, that know me can attest to this. I text them back within a minute and I'm like, yeah, bro, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Go, go make your money because that's what's important here is, is being able to tie that, 
um, those loose ends and, and connect that, that gap or whatever you want to call it is, you know, if, if myself or somebody like me wasn't there to do it, you're not going to be able to get a hold of the food and beverage manager, right. the general manager. Right. You shouldn't be able to. They, right. they have a million things to do. And, right. and that's why um, a company like mine or anybody else running one similar is so important to the industry, in my opinion, is so there's things don't get lost. And we oh. have communication, and and we make the community better collectively, is what's most important to me. I just want to point out that that approach, the approach of like, hey man, I got this, I got this crazy corporate last minute. Can I, you know, can I find a sub? Not every booking agent has your approach, and I think that that's what makes that's one thing that makes working with you a different experience because. Mm-hmm. Not not just, I mean, there are plenty of musicians who are booking agents. And this is a conversation that I'll have this conversation five times a week with various friends. We're all sharing information about different booking agents, who's easy to work with, who isn't. Like, what is the thrust of their of their mission? Is it to please, is it to please the venue? Is it to support the musician? Like Everyone has a different spin and a different priority in booking. But I just want to point out, I love that about you. That I appreciate it. That that's important because you understand. Listen, it's a it's a Thursday at this thing. He he or she has an opportunity to whatever put a dent into some into some uh, 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 monthly uh, expenses. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I just think that. Not every booking agent has musicians back like that. I'm a musician. I, I tell everybody I'm a musician first and foremost. Yeah. Um, I, I never, ever wanted to be labeled a booking agent. Right. And still to this day, I try to use the term... Consultant. Well, that or I run an entertainment booking company. Right. I. I mean, I hardly ever say I'm a booking agent because there is kind of a negative. Yeah, there's a stigma. Yeah. And we've all worked with some. Yeah. And listen, I know not everybody is going to like me. I'm sure there's been a few bad experiences with me. Um, Maybe misunderstandings. Maybe it was just a personality thing. But I am here. I just want everybody to always understand that I am here to mostly support the musician, Mm -hmm. bring the community together collectively to make work better. But yes, I'm doing a job that is not easy. I'm dealing with a hell of a lot of bullshit. Bro, it's a thankless fucking gig. And you and and we do some bookings together. Yeah. I know you've done in the past. No. You understand it. No. Not everybody understands it. A lot of people are like, oh, you're making money doing basically nothing. It's like, well, if I was if I was doing one establishment um, it's not that hard. Right. But I don't feel like I'm doing that much good if I'm just taking one, taking care of one establishment, you know, and, and I'm, it's crazy that I'm handling, I, I think 15 or so now as well as some concert series and stuff. And, yeah. and that's when it gets to be a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool because I'm able to, um, take, uh, Stanley, let's drop Stanley's name. I'm able to take Stanley and he performs at, 
you know, some random establishment in Mesa and then the same, and then the same client, uh, I'm sorry, the same audience or be like, Hey, we saw you last week right. here and now we're seeing you at this concert series. Hey, we want to follow you now. Right. Or that's what I'm trying to do. That's, right. that's my goal is, is just increase the number of places people can play. Right. And, and hopefully eventually increase rates because right. it sounds like rates have been the same, the same forever. For- you would know better than I do, but well, I mean, and I've only been here what twenty years, and it's a long time, and I haven't seen the, you know, and but you talk to some OGs like Mario and and Todd, and it and it's kind of the same, man, since yeah. like the fucking eighties and nineties and shit. It, it's like, and I mean, just in the past <clears throat> six months, inflation has gone up so much. Like I can't imagine the past twenty years, and, and I, I'll still always remember the conversation I had with John Herrera. I was with him and Jacob, and he said, and this was before I believe I had my company. He said, I'm making the same dough that there's a, it's 3.30. See, it's 3.30. That's how you know. (laughs) He said, I'm making the same bread at most of the same gigs I was 20 plus years ago. Yeah. Yeah. How is that a thing? How is that a fucking thing? You you know, the restaurants are charging 20% more than they were then or more. Oh, yeah. Well, just the cost of living, cost of living has gone up. Like more than that inflation fucking has changed you know it's yeah i mean like i always take like forty thousand dollars a year as a decent ish living you can live off of that typically as a single person yeah you know you, you you take how many gigs you can play in a week i mean if you really hustle you can maybe play six seven gigs in a week mm-hmm. That's pretty hard on the body and the voice. It's not super sustainable. It's not sustainable. And you take into account that most gigs are 200, 250, sometimes right. less. Right. Typically 200 or less. Th- that doesn't add up to that much or it only adds up to that. Right. And you can't really do more. Right. So there's certainly a yeah. ceiling. You know, there's there's a ceiling. You have to work five, six, seven nights a week at that rate, mm-hmm. which is kind of, you know... The, the general average, let's say, of these kind of restaurant resort gigs, that's, let's say the average is $200. Uh, you have to work five nights to pay rent and to live a relatively comfortable thing. And there's a ceiling there. And, and, and you can't physically work sustainably uh, throughout a year, let's say, trying to do more than seven gigs a fucking week. That's... It's too much. I guess it maybe it comes down to the instrument. If if you're not singing and you're just playing guitar, let's say, or whatever, but it it's fucking exhausting and yeah. it's just not sustainable. So there's the ceiling. So how do we break through that? And you know, maybe the solution is not found uh, at that level. You know, maybe the solution is starting to work with some of the performing arts centers or some clubs, you know, like trying to raise the the bar a little bit, have a night, let's say at Crescent or Valley Bar where you get to showcase some of your artists, you know, Mm -hmm. and start to build something there where there is, the the ceiling isn't the same, right? Right. It's almost like, you know, when the Lucky Devils do do a showcase at the Rhythm Room for potential clients. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you did that as a booking agent, this is the you know the, the the roster of talent, and it can be a ticketed thing, and 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 then you start to grow b- 
beyond this resort patio wine bar thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And COVID gave me a lot of those ideas. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm just admitting up front that I've had a lot of these ideas, you know, s- similar, but it's hard yeah. when, when I'm trying to run this business now and I never imagined that it would turn into day job sort of hours. Right. And then I, you know, I do go gig usually once a weekend, sometimes twice, but not nearly as much as I used to because I'm exhausted at the end of the week. I've dealt with whatever it is, but that's something I want to get back to is once my schedule kind of calms down gig wise, because it's, it's just that season for all of us, right? Like, you know, October, November through April. It's always feast or famine. It's like you save up that money for summer typically, right? (laughs) So like... You know, once things calm down, those are the things I want to focus on, especially now that we can gather again in right. the meantime. Right. Um, people want to go see live music. Why would you not want to go see a new artist that you don't know of? Right. I know the majority of the people we know and are working with have original careers as well. Right. And they're incredible stuff. Yeah. It doesn't matter how well known they are. Um. So yeah, that's something that I definitely need to get back to. Um, I'm always open ears with people. I want to work with people like you. Hey, you just had a great idea. Well, two heads are better than one. Yeah. Let's put it together and do that. Right. No, I and I think that, you know, and maybe I think we were rapping about this last week or whatever. Um, the, the folks that you work with typically are younger, kind of a newer generation singer-songwriter. That's true. You know, Um and I would suspect if I were in their shoes, having an opportunity to play a bigger stage and to just play original music, they might not have those opportunities. You know, so not only are you, you know, you're creating this, um, you're creating a compelling show for an audience member to experience some original uh, local music, but you're also giving the artist an opportunity to say, hey, I'm, I'm playing the Valley Bar, you know, and yeah. I'm only going to, I'm only playing original shit, you know as we're talking about this, like this fucking ceiling and how do we get out of it? I mean, I, we know people maybe who are fine there and, and can exist there. Uh, but that was never my thing. I, I, you know, I'd like to think that I, I do these gigs when I'm home, but you know, my, my, the, the, the main priority is going on the road with the sweet remains live from Laurel Canyon or Europe or whatever. Like, and when I'm home, I enjoy this because it's not my everyday, you know? Right. So I guess there's that. Yeah, you know, in my opinion, the only way that things are going to majorly change is a large group of well-known musicians coming together. Well, that sounds like a union, right? It sounds sounds like the union. And that was my next thing to say is that I don't necessarily know how the union works. I don't necessarily want it. I need to really educate myself better on that. But I don't even know if that would work. Right. Well, there is a there is a Phoenix Music Union. Correct. I yeah. actually know a a girl that's that's part of it. Yeah. I don't know her well, um, but I know that she's part of it and that she tries to stay as true as she can to it. Yeah. For the reason to keep things moving along, hopefully right. and fair. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I don't want to call it like we're gonna go on strike and not play music. Like, right. But at the same time, you see how many gigs there are weekly. Yeah. It's not like these places are offering music to throw money at the wall. I mean, sometimes they throw money at the wall to try it. Right. But if they've been having music for years and years, it's obviously doing something for them. Right. 
So if everybody was to be like, hey, this isn't cool. You know, that's what really pisses me off a lot of when I see bands that are like, well, we have full-time day jobs. We just do this for fun. So yeah, yeah we'll play for $300. Right. $300? Like the quality of bands that you should be getting in here, and I know the amount of money that they're making off food and alcohol sales, you should be able to afford a grand. Right. But it's being ruined by people that are like, $300 is fine. Right. It's ridiculous. And there's always going to be somebody coming up that says, that's all I need. Right. Right. That's why it's almost impossible to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, if I had a nickel for every time I had this conversation, I love it. I love talking about this shit. But it is that, it's that thing. um, We were talking about the union, which conceptually speaking is a great idea. We should all band together and have some fucking standards. What I think happens is on a micro level, we have these discussions. Like, I feel like I have a six, eight, ten person crew. And if we're all playing the same place, we kind of have a union. We talk about, like, what are you charging? I don't want to charge more. I don't want to charge less. So we come to a consensus in a very small kind of micro approach to a union. We'll have these discussions right? for that reason. Like we don't want someone to get fucked over or ruin it or whatever. So we all kind of get on the same page. Hey man, what are you charging? Okay, cool. Okay. Then we'll be, do, we'll do this, this, and this. And what did you say when they said they want it for four hours or versus three? Okay, good. We're all on the same page, all on the same page. Like those discussions are happening but in a very small scale. Right. Um, I'd love, actually, I, 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 um, Jerry Donato is the, is the head of the, of the union and I want to have him on the, on the podcast and rap with him. I just saw him the other day. Yeah. That'd be super fascinating. I'd I'd love to hear that. I know. Um, I think that this, the concept is super sound, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like if everyone isn't behind it, if, 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 30% 30% of the musicians in town are falling through the cracks and kind of doing their own thing, then our power in the community as a community is diminished. But as you say, yeah. there are always people who will say, ah, it's not about the bread for me, man. I, you know, I got a gig or I'll do it for 50 bucks. You know, it's like, hold on fucking record scratch. Right. And I've, I've had a good amount of people reach out to me that say, Hey, I want to get started with your company. I'll even work for X uh, amount of dollars. I don't respond. Yeah. And to go along with that, it doesn't matter if you're a complete veteran or it's literally your first gig um, that I'm booking you for. I pay the same. Uh huh. Now, they might go in and bomb. Typically, it doesn't happen, but sometimes I know, you know, I get feedback that they weren't great. Okay. Right, right. Well, you made the same bread as the veteran. I won't have you back. That's fine. But I don't believe in paying people different. At the end of the day, you're typically doing the same amount of work. I know there there should be... Uh, a little bit of a sliding scale. A little bit of a... Sli- no, <laughs> but, with you. no, but I don't disagree. That's the thing. <laughs> is that... But I just want to give everybody the same fair chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the the most important thing about that is everybody talks. Mm-hmm. There's no point in going, hey, why'd Joe make right. $500 and I'm making 200 
that gets around. Right. And I don't like that yeah. because I know, because that happened to me when right. I used to play at this place way back in the day, I started finding out that we were bringing in great numbers and I knew talent wise, we were amongst the best yet. We were getting paid two, $300 less right. than another duo. And it's like, well, that sucks. Right. That's, that's a good amount of bread. Don't you think that you're, you're, you're missing a teachable moment when some, when a musician says, I'll even do it for this. Don't you think that that's a great opportunity to be like, here's a couple of things to consider. Oh, of course. You know what I'm saying? Like consider the fact that some people, some of the people that I work with rely on this money to, to pay their mortgage. Also consider, you know, like I feel like that's a good moment to deliver some fucking wisdom to, to these people that need to know if you're going to be a part of this community, you can't exist on your own kind of terms. Like we're, we're all kind of, whether we like it or not, we're all swimming in the same fucking pool. As you say, musicians talk, uh, like, I don't know. Um, I don't really know where I was going with that, but, but I just thought that that's, when that musician does send you that email, that that is a teachable moment where you can say, listen, you, you should also have some fucking self value, you know? Yeah. Is this a product that you stand behind? Then you should fucking get paid for it. I don't care if you need it or not. Fucking give it to charity if you don't want the bread. But understand that there are people who require this money to, you know, anyway. And, and not only are they hurting the community, in the end, they're hurting themselves because yeah. if they plan on continually doing this as any sort of living or profession, it's going to come back around and right. it's going to bite them right in the ass. They're yeah. going to go, man, why am I still making 125 bucks four years later? Right. Well, it's like, because you accepted it in the first place. Right. I don't so much get emails. I, I definitely got a handful of those more in the beginning. I think I was, I think I was attracting also new people uh, wanting to play because my business was new and, and, and I didn't book for um, maybe the caliber of what I'm able to now. Um, but I definitely still get emails to this day where it's like, you know, the email that I get a lot is like from a booking agent for a certain artist. I've mm -hmm. never heard of before. Hey, Eric is coming through town mm -hmm. on May 12th. Uh, can we reserve a date for him? Uh, his rate is 200, or I'm sorry, and it's something ridiculous. It's $100 for four hours. I get an email like that almost every day. Sometimes hmm. the rate's included, sometimes it's not. Hmm. But you're right. I mean, I should start responding and be like, hey, I don't care what state you live in, have higher standards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't even care how bad you might be. Mm -hmm. Like, ten you know, nine times out of 10, I'll listen to the, the video and be like, yeeks. Yeah. That's not very good. Well, that shouldn't a, matter. But that's a different assessment, right? That's that's a that's a product assessment, in the sense that I'm not sure that your music is going to fit into the spaces that I book, right? You know, and B, uh, this is the average rate, so mm -hmm. maybe just keep this in mind next time you're coming through town or whatever. I mean, I I I mean, I have such a love hate relationship with booking. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I have I've, I've I've have had this conversation a thousand times, and we, we you know typically we'll 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 always come to similar conclusions, and I just don't know how to get past it. I don't know how to change it 
enough uh, so that everyone, uh, the, the, the venue gets what they need, the audience is set up to enjoy it in the best way possible. In other words, like that whole infrastructure, you know, maybe a small stage or curtains behind the band so the sound gets absorbed. Like, and the band feels appreciated. I, it, why are we still fighting for this basic fucking shit? And that's what I struggle with being on both sides of the right. business right. is that I am always trying to fight for the musician also trying to keep my job. Right. Well, you're you're, you're trying you're trying to please as a booking agent, you're trying to please almost polar opposite interests, right? Yeah. The venue, the audience and the musician. And rarely do they all work in this beautiful, flowing, organic way? You know, and, and there's there's such a little difference to me. Some venues, I know they're penny-pinching. But if you're penny-pinching, I feel like you shouldn't be trying to offer live music. Right. I tell a lot of clients, listen, I can get a trio for you. Cool. 200 a man, we keep saying is the average. For like 100, 150 more, I can get the best trio. Right. It's like what fucking three dinners, right? Like, right, right. If I walk in your restaurant on Friday, Saturday night, and you're struggling to fill tables, you know, don't have a trio, right? Have a solo or duo. Right. Just add the live music and see how it adds, right? Um, or I'm sorry, see how it uh, affects your your crowd and and just what's going on in your restaurant. But right. I there's not that much money difference locally between a they're okay. And the absolute best. Right, right. Why not have the absolute best? Right. The other thing that just grinds my gears is that people are like, well, that sounded old when I said that. Grinds my gears. Whatever. Take it easy, old man. (laughs) (laughs) I got to go get my cane. Uh, It it grinds my gears. We're going to stick with that. I like it. Is when they're like, hey, how many uh, people can they bring? Right. Oh, yeah. How many Instagram followers do they have? And yeah. I'm, I'm totally calling out some people that I work with, but I, I love working with them, but it is, it's frustrating because it's like, yeah. listen, right. they have had their friends and family come to every single one of their gigs right. 10 years ago. Right. They don't want to come to every single one now. Right. If you focus on the quality, right. you will naturally build. Right. Because right. you're going to start being known for they have killer music. Right. Again. Right. They're offering live music because they're seeing the benefit to it. Right. Well, and again, it comes back to this concept that live music is the band-aid because your restaurant is failing. It's like, don't you, you're honestly going to, well, how many people does the chef fucking bring every night? You know, yeah. everyone's eating food. So, like, what's his Instagram following like? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Start bringing in guest chefs. <laughs> Go hire Gordon yeah. Ramsay. I don't care. Yeah, right. Right. You're gonna bring in that many more people? Yeah, you are for the first few months. Right. But then everybody's gonna be like, oh, that's where Gordon Ramsay works. Yeah. That's cool. Been there, done that. Yeah. Way to go, Gordon. That is your real name. <laughs> um, well, as I said, man, I I can have this conversation for four more hours. Yeah. Um, I love I love talking uh kind of the logistics of booking and and some of the struggles that musicians have there's just this there's this constant 
not animosity, but but more often than not, booking agents, even if they are musicians, are sometimes at odds with musicians, sometimes at odds with venues. And it's like, I just think that there is a way to make everybody happy. And I'm excited that, that, that we've had this conversation and that, and that some of the gears are turning about how we can change it. And this can be the start. Right. This could be the starting conversation to change things. You never know when yeah. that is. And most of the people in our circle are mutual friends of ours. Yeah. They listen to this podcast. Mm. Reach out to us. Yeah. If you have an idea, right. let's collectively make it better. I'm willing to work with anybody that has a good idea. Mm. I'm not going to ignore it. I want to explore different avenues to collectively make it ever more better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, fucking cheers to that, man. Cheers, dude. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tanner. Appreciate you uh, coming over. and, and uh, Thanks for the glass of milk, by the way. I know. Listen, it was it was. It's only been expired for like two or three weeks. I'm sure it's. It may smell like cottage cheese, but it's totally. Drinkable. I thought it was cottage cheese, actually. Well, and why are we both shirtless? I, I just thought that that's what you do. Yeah. You, you look I took good my by shoes the way. Too. You've been working out. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of no video podcasts. <laughs> We're naked. <laughs> We're sitting in a vat of Jello. <laughs> a hot tub of jello <laughs> uh thank you thank you man I'm